a Podcast One production. The truth about starting a business, crafting a career, having a family and managing to fit it all in. Superwomen We Ain't. From the founder of Boost Juice, Janine Ellis, and leading executive and career coach, Margie Hartley. Welcome to Superwomen We Ain't Season 2. I'm Margie Hartley. And I'm Janine Ellis. And today, on Episode 9, we're going to talk about what do I want to be when I grow up. We'll talk about whose expectations do we need to meet. We'll talk about Plan B. And then, how do you restart when you choose to change? It's interesting, isn't it, Margie? Because, you know, I have a 10-year-old little girl and we catch up with old relatives and they, the first thing they say to Tali is, what do you want to be when you grow up? She's freaking 10. I know. I spent the entire year when I my 12th birthday travelling with my parents around Australia and I sat in the back of the car, leaning over, no seatbelt, crossing the Nullarbor saying, what will I be when I grow up? What will I be when I grow up? I was completely perplexed by what options were out there. Well, Talia told me she wants to be a dancer, a gymnast, a model, an actor and a marine biologist, Hmm. right? So that's what she's going to be. So, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because you get to year 10 and they do career counselling. Okay, you're year 10. What are you? Freaking 14, 13, 15? And you've got to actually sit down and go, I want to be, and I'm going to spend the next few years studying a career that you may not want to. I'll give you an example of someone who really knew what they wanted to do. Her name was Christine. She was a lawyer that worked for me. And she said to me that when she was five years old, she knew exactly what she wanted to do. She wanted to be a lawyer. Those, Those few people who are really, really passionate and gifted or know that they'll always want to be that. For the 98% of the population, like you and me. We have no clue. We have no clue. Like I'm 53 years old and I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And I think that's exciting, you know, because I think at the end of the day, we get influenced by our peers, our parents, our grandparents and people around us of an expectation of what we need and should do. And then it's really that deep-seated feeling of what I want to do. Like for me personally, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Even when I was, you know, 5, 15, 50, 20, 30, 40, 50, right? Didn't know. And so I'm still working it out. But what I did know was that I knew life was about searching for what made me happy. And what, the, what do they say? Find a job that you love and you never work another day in your life. And I really want to delve into that today is trying to find your passion of what you love, not what is expected of you. Mm, the, the difference between meaningful work and the quest to follow your strengths is a very well-intended idea. However, in execution and in society, we have ATARs and scores we have to get uh, to get into university and then we land in university and we're paying a hex debt and we don't know actually whether this is the course engineering sounded good on the outside, but it's not. So what did you want to be when you grow up, when you were little? I w- and when I was seven, which is actually quite a pivotal time psychologically, Psychologists believe that seven is a time when people are really tuned into what they actually want to do and know their strengths. But I wanted to be an architect. And I continued on that until I realised that my math skills weren't going to take me there. Now, today, that might change. I still want to build a house, though. So I will incorporate that passion that I have for architecture and design and sustainability into hopefully one day building a house when my business owns has enough profit. So, So, okay, go back to that, right? So there's a moment where you you went, I want to be an architect. You hit a moment, you went, gee, I haven't got a natural skill in this area. So how did it make you feel? 
next, what are the pathway? So I think the idea of pathways to different goals is what we really need to explore. My daughter had a social enterprise business called uh, Project Honey um, because when she went to uni, she realised that her 75% of her friends that she met were really confused about what they were doing. There was just a few who were passionate about medicine or teaching or law, but really didn't know what they were doing. So she created this company called Project Honey, and they went into uh, to schools, to students to say, actually, don't aim for your ATAR. Don't aim for a score. Look at your strengths. Look at what you're passionate about. And they developed a, a scoring system so people could actually be more expansive in their thinking about what they might like to do when they grow up. Like we've had kids go through year 12, right? The, the pressure that they feel at year 12, I mean, I must admit, I shake my head. It's all about the score. It's all about the score. But what they don't realise is that education starts when actually you leave school and actually go into the real world, that's when education starts. And it's that classy example, isn't it? Formal education will get you a job, but self-education will actually make you a success. I think about my mum's expectations of what I should or should not have been in life. And my mum, you know, she's a 50s housewife. So for her, it was all about, Janine, you need to have as children pretty much before you're 25. You need to have at least three before 25. Um, You need to work in a bank because that's a nice, safe job and you've got a good career there. Um, You need to be the supporter, not the leader. So I was brought up with a very minimal expectation of what I should do. And my path was very much off you go, Janine, you know, be, be that little woman type thing. So for me, I, you know, I actually did go to the Commonwealth Bank to apply for a job and there was a room of, um, I don't know, 50 people and there was a test. And I seriously sat with that test and just doodled little drawings because I had no intention. I did the test because my mum wanted me to do it, but I had no intention of wanting to work for a bank. You know, nothing wrong with working for a bank, but certainly wasn't for me. So, you know, I think about my careers. I've been a camp counsellor. I've been a nanny. I've worked on a boat. I've I've, I've been a a model. I've worked in a gym. I've been in advertising. I mean, my long list of career changes. So I'm nearly a millennial in my ethos because I do sort of go, oh, what do I want to do now? What do I want to do now? I mean, I did a yoga teacher course when I was, you know, 50, you know, so I'm a qualified yoga instructor. So it's, it is that feeling of, you know, we do have this obligation to follow a path, but what happens when you find you're right down that path and it's not your passion? So passion's something that doesn't fall out of the sky into your lap, Janine. We know that We might find it when we're 50 or 60, um, but we've got to keep looking for it. And I believe, you know, there's, you're not the only person who has been on this path of looking for your passion. No, actually, you dig a bit deeper and you find people like, you know, Giorgio Armani, right? He studied medicine. You know, you think of Stephen King, he was a janitor. You know, Mick Jagger actually studied economics. Mm. And I think the final one is Ford, Harrison Ford, actually is a carpenter. Mm. So, People go down paths and life is, I want to say life's about a box of chocolates, but I won't say that. Um, Life is such a journey that who you are at 15 is very different to 25, very different to 35, and you should evolve and adjust. I love the idea of knowing yourself and owning your life. And when others place expectations on you to get a high ATAR or to be something that you're not sure you really want to be, sometimes you can go down that path for a while, but know that the opportunities 
to shift and change are within you. Correct. And look, to summarise, take the pressure away from yourself. Take the pressure away from our kids. We don't need to know what we want to be when we grow up. It's, that's what happens. That's what's great about life. It's about change. So let's talk about how to change. The plan B. I've done it. You've done it. Let's talk about how you go about making that change. I think the first thing to consider is it's all very well us sitting here in a studio going, change, go on, off you go. Because what tends to happen is that if people have been in a career for a long time, that's where their value is. Imagine you've studied for you know, all of these years, and you're now a qualified accountant. You work for a big four and you've worked your way up and you're on a really big six-figure salary. You've got a lifestyle, you've got cars, you've got mortgage, you've got kids. And then you turn around to your wife who you know, probably might be staying at home or not staying at home and say, I want a career change. I want to now start to write children's books, right? Well, you know what? The reality is you've got commitments and life. So sometimes it's really difficult to people go, I wake up every day and I hate numbers, right? I want to be an author. That's what I want to be. That's where my passion is. That's where my love is. So how do you transfer that commitment to a passion? Mm, I work with people every day who are not quite sure that this part of their career is really where they want to be for the next 10, 20, 30 years. And we talk about creating the plan to change. And sometimes the desire or the passion actually becomes a side hustle rather than the mainstay. So actually incorporating a side hustle might mean that you can change. What do you mean by side hustle? Side hustle is something that you do with great passion on the side. Mm -hmm. So it might actually mean it's like a passion project or another career or another you know, business that you might open. So for example, I'm that accountant again, I want to write children's books. So you're saying then go and do a, a, a writing course at night. Yeah. And do your discovery, find out what goes on in the publishing industry, find out who does it really well. Um, how do you be Alison Lester in, you know, create some of the most amazing children's books ever? You know, what's the process? How do I, how do I approach this? And then start the planning on the side. Most businesses actually, most businesses start with a side hustle really for a while. Most people keep their jobs for a period of time before they switch over. I spoke to Kerry Kuzak the other day, who is from Jet Swimwear. Now, she started a Bondi bather. She went from being a marketer to becoming uh, the manufacturer of bathers in Bondi, and eventually the business was bought by Jets. So it's a great story. But you know, she she jumped in, very few people jump in and quit their jobs. It's interesting, isn't it? It's about doing the work. I mean, how many people do we come across that just whinge at us? Or say, I've I got hate an my idea. job. I've got an idea. Yeah. Or I hate what I do. Well, go and do a side hustle. Go and do go and work every single night. Get up at five o'clock. Do that. Work around it. Find a way to it. There's actually a solution to every single problem. You've just got to put the work in. Janine, you've done lots of things early on through travel, some careers that you had on the boat. Then you actually established yourself as a cinema, um, someone who runs the cinemas. Then you made the shift into business, right? You went to plan B, but the first plan B wasn't successful. No, exactly. And you you look at some super famous people that are renowned to being having disasters like Elon Musk, right? The biggest game changer in the world, right? I, you know, open source, you know, he really will change the planet. But he's already blown up four rockets, 
right? Apparently the fifth rocket was blown up. He blames aliens, right? True story, right? So, you know, he is one of the biggest losers on the planet and he will actually stand up and go, yep, I make mistakes every day. I get things wrong every day. Another hero of mine, well, not a hero of mine, but someone who I think is, is incredible is Jack Ma from Alibaba. Well, he, again, hands up, he goes, I, I, mate, I'm a loser. KFC came into China. They needed to hire 24 people for the opening of KFC. 23 people got the job. He didn't. He actually applied for Harvard Business Course 10 times and they said no, right? So it's that tenacity of just getting it wrong and just keep going. You know, to your point and your question about myself, you know, we tried publishing. You know, it was an absolute disaster. We toured comedians. You know, have you heard of Bob Smith? Well, it didn't make any money. Trust me, it didn't. You know, Google it because at least someone can get some benefit of all the money that I lost. You know, but it's okay to get things wrong. You know, you have to readjust. You pick yourself up brush yourself down. So really about changing careers is you have to be okay with making mistakes along the way and getting it wrong now and then. What happens if you're young? What happens if you're really young and you're trying to find your path and out there everything seems like so much choice anxiety for you? How do you how do you make a decision? In actual fact, when you're young, it's easy because often the youth are living at home and they have less expenses. It's before you've got the mortgages, before you've got the kids, before you have these obligations. So, mate, get on with it. You know, if you're standing there going, I'm anxious about my careers, freaking get over it. Get on with it. You just do it. And if you get it wrong, like in actual fact, people have to understand that life is a journey and a path, right? You actually have to get on the path to find out what you want to do or what you don't want to do. So many times though, when you look back at your career and how you got to where you are today, you know, sometimes along that path, it's who you meet along the path, not necessarily what you did. So with that advice to the youth in getting on with it is just get going and keep your eyes and ears open. So here's an example, right? As I've spoken about before, I'm catching up with this guy called Paul Taylor. And he's the guy who gets into your head and talks about how you need to think. And he is this professor that studies brain waves and why people are lucky and unlucky. So there's a massive study that was done on lucky people and unlucky people. So they got these two people, two groups of people. They got these lucky people. That everyone tells them they're lucky. You know, they're just lucky, right? And these people that go, oh my God, they just get the worst deck of cards. They're just so unlucky. And one of the tests they gave them was a newspaper test. And they said, okay, guys, you need to count how many photos are in this newspaper. And the unlucky people went, oh, bloody hell, we get the lazy, freaking boring one. But And the lucky people went, oh, okay, well, we might actually have a bit of a read while we do it. So they started to flick through the newspaper and started to count the photos. And they got halfway and it's, they came across an ad that said, as part of the test, we've put this ad in, turn around to the facilitator and ask for 100 bucks, and you'll get it. So these lucky people went, woo, 100 bucks. They said to the police, we were $100. And the guy goes, part of the test, you're not getting $100, but well done, right? They got three quarters through the newspaper and there was another article in there and it said, you can stop counting now, there's 165 ads in this paper. The lucky people went, done, we're done. The unlucky people did the same thing, went through the test, counted all the, all the, all the um, photos, got to the end and said there's 165, some got it right, some got it wrong. The moral of the story is that lucky people see their only opportunities. The moral of the story is that lucky people see opportunities. They actually take notice of the world around us and actually 
take opportunities when they see them. The unlucky people say no. They don't make changes. They just stand there and whinge about the fact that they don't like their career. They sit there and they whinge about the fact that there's too many choices. I don't know where to go. They will give excuses for their life. And so the lucky people make their own luck. And I think that's what it came with. It wasn't that they were born lucky. They were just, they were born positively biased. It's a fantastic story, Janine. I um I'm a big believer in positive psychology and hope theory. So if you have hope, you actually find that your thinking creates different pathways to get to your goal. Neuroplasticity. Yes. I love that word. It's a new word, plasticity. you've got it all. Yeah, I know. So (laughs) again, trying to keep motivated, trying to believe and make sure that you think it is possible with a plan. You're listening to Super Women We Ain't with Margie Hartley and Janine Alice. If you like listening to the show, please do get in touch on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button and continue to listen for free. So we've talked about meeting expectations and we've talked about plan B, how to change. So let's talk about how to restart. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I've spoken through this episode about how many different careers that I've had and my whole life is probably a restart. But you restarted at 40. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so that was circumstances led me to have to make these a variety of choices. You heard that I wanted to be an architect when I was little, decided that wasn't the path, ended up for the next 10 years working in the arts, book publishing, and then ending up at the comedy festival as a CEO. Lucky you got out of book publishing. Yeah, well, although it's still, it's doing okay, book publishing now. It's interesting. So um, still a passion though. And so ended up as the CEO of the comedy festival. And as people know from season one, I then um, chose to go to Papua New Guinea, had a litter of children, came back to Melbourne, dedicated myself to the girls, moved to Sydney. And then um, after some illness, decided I really wanted to go back to work. But what do you do? I couldn't go out at night. I couldn't act. I had to really be careful around my health because I'd been so ill. I had all these conditions now around me. I wanted to look after my girls. So I had to start to choose. And that was really one of the important moments where I realised how hard it was to restart. And I won't joke with anyone out there and say it's easy or you can do it just if you believe it. The truth is that it takes a lot of confidence. It takes a lot of persistence. And it also takes um, sometimes a bit of luck. And I just contacted as many people as I could. And I said, these are my strengths. Now, one of the things I did wrong was I went to a recruiter and he said, oh, fantastic. You can run events. I said, I haven't run an event in my life and I can't even hold a five-year-old's birthday party. I'm hopeless. Why do you think I run events? He said, because you worked for the comedy festival. I said, no, 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 I ran the thing. That's my strength. Okay, we'll put you in in marketing communications. No, 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 I'm not a marketing communications specialist. I put people in those roles. So nobody could find really a, a fit for me. And so that was quite a struggle. So I took the leap of faith well, somebody else really took a leap of faith with me and said, would you start facilitating a program? You're experienced, you've got um, communication skills and let's give it a go. I was beside myself fearful that I didn't have it right. It's interesting you said then, one of the things I picked up is you said it was a bit of luck and then 
that straight after you said it's a bit of luck, you said, I called everyone I know. Unlucky people just go, oh, bugger, and then don't even pick up the phone. But what you did was you actively sourced people to find out how to get on that path. So going back to the subject, which is how to restart, is it's not easy. No, it's not easy, Janine. And I've experienced that and you've experienced that. But getting on the path is is very much around being really open and curious as well. So I could have said no to that opportunity, but I actually chose to say yes. So it's okay to make mistakes, you know, and it's also be re-educated. So mm. when you're talking about restarting, what did you? What other skills did you need to learn mm. to actually then go? Okay, I'm now running my own business. My um, business partner, um, Professor Tony Grant at Sydney University, is a great guy. But he was he was 32 or three, I think, maybe actually older, and he realised he'd like to be a psychologist, and he had been a builder, and he hadn't gone past year 10. And so he went back and sat his test, his bridging test. He went and did his undergraduate degree, did his master's and his doctorate. And he's currently the world's leading coaching psychologist. Mm. He actually is the founder of the Coaching Psychology Unit at Sydney Uni. He's renowned around the world. And he said he used to sit at Bondi in his flat, he's English. He used to sit in his flat at Bondi thinking, oh, I could be going out for a surf. But remembering that the possibility for change lay in his ability to actually you know, do something differently. I'm really inspired by that story. And my nephew, Peter, has done exactly the same thing, retrained from engineering and now is a clinical psychologist. And it's hard work. But you've got to be willing to start from the bottom again. People get caught up in, oh, my God, three years' time, I'll be this. Three years comes and goes. And pilots do that. So pilots go from one plane where they're captain and then have to go back to second officer to learn the ropes to move up to be the captain on that plane. Which you go back to education because they have to be re-educated. Like, and education comes in many ways. So for me, I would go into a boardroom and I'm okay now, but I would sit there and do two things. First of all, I would write down everything I didn't understand in the boardroom, which was many pages of notes. And then what I would do is I would do one or two things. First of all, I'd call an accountant, friend of mine, and going, okay, I have my list of things you need to tell me what they are. Or I found, I discovered this website called Investopedia, which actually just explained all the terminologies. And the first thing I thought was, first and foremost, was that nothing was actually difficult. It was just understanding the terminology. So any edu- so take away this it's too hard mentality. Mm. Just get going. The other thing I find with the restart process is analysis becomes paralysis. Now, I think about your story that you just told me. You could have gone, okay, well, I'll do more research. Maybe that's not it. I'll, I'll keep going. I'll keep finding. I'll Because maybe the next one might be the answer. At some point, jump in and work it out. Yeah. And look, Janine, I've given a talk recently to uh, 200 um, uh, 23, 24-year-olds on this very subject about careers and career change. And it's important to find meaningful work. It actually is important for our psychological well-being. But actually, this idea of analysis by paralysis can mean that looking for meaningful work means we think it needs to be 100% perfect. Mm. So my message to them was, if it's 60% playing to your strengths, fantastic. We all have to clean the toilet and do our tax. Life isn't full of blissful moments. And so think about that 60% 
aiming for using your strengths and being engaged and know that the other stuff is just stuff that has to happen. So really a summary of how to restart is at some point, just give it a go. Fantastic. On the next episode, there's no point making money if you're dead. Superwomen We Ain't is a Podcast One production recorded in the studios of Podcast One Melbourne. Executive producer is Grant Tothill. Producer is Dave Zwolenski. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.